The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. When you think about the companies bringing autonomous vehicles to the roads, you probably think of some of the world's biggest names. Apple, Google, Tesla, Uber. But what if I was to tell you there was a Kiwi startup that grew from repairing computers and making intelligent signage to inking multi-million dollar international deals for autonomous shuttles? Omeo is the maker of a 20-person shuttle that can be extended to carry up to 40. Their breakthrough is to operate on predetermined routes without the need for a driver. It's kind of like a tram, but with virtual rails guided by electronic systems. They're working with bus operators, new cities built for the autonomous future, and have got manufacturing happening in their own facility in China, with a new focus on expanding the AI capabilities and their research. To chat the journey, where they are now and where they go next, Research and Development Coordinator Mahmoud Hikmet joins us now. G'day. Thanks so much for being here. Nice to meet you, Simon. Hey, so tell me, how did your company, your family company, get to be involved in autonomous vehicles? <laughs> yeah, it is a bit from it is a bit from left field. Um, so we started off. Uh, depends how far back <laughs> you want to go in the story. Uh, very, very originally, we started off as a computer repair shop um, uh, when my uh, father and uncle immigrated here from the Middle East. Um, so that was in mid to end of the nineties. And they started up this this computer business um, to sort of bring an income to the family, uh, but then ended up getting specialised in electronic signage. Um, as the years went by, uh, they specialised more in road infrastructure, so signs that you see on the side of the road, uh, mainly because it's a higher barrier of entry. I mean, if you need to produce something for the road that needs to fit to certain standards, uh, sort of like the school zone signs or estimated minutes for your motorway, those ones we've all seen, um, there's a higher barrier of entry to get into that than to sell sort of a sign in a shop window, which anyone can sort of import and, and end up selling. So as the years went by, um, we got more and more um, experienced in that, and we've carved out quite a niche um, until uh, we started adding more sensor technology. So the sign started to become smarter, uh, integrating more into the smart city infrastructure of the future. Um, and around 2015, uh, we started to think, all right, we uh, can, we're doing pretty well. We can keep selling electronic signs, uh, for a little while, but eventually the road system's going to change. So what place is HMI technologies going to have 
going into the future. I mean, when you think of the future, you think of things like driverless cars. Um, and our signs give information to people inside that are driving vehicles. So what use really is an electronic sign giving information to a car without a driver? So, so the, the intelligent signs are about to come not so smart. Well, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's not like, it's not about the not so smart. It's more about they serve a need that may not exist going 20 years from now. Um, and you see that with a whole lot of different technologies, like the home phone, for example, that's sort of going out of <laughs> going out of uh, style. I don't know many people who have one anymore. But uh, if you go back a certain amount of time, it was something very relevant and something that everyone should have. And it would have been a great business installing them everywhere great. once upon a time. Exactly. But uh, you'd be crazy to start a home phone company now um, <laughs> without sort of going into VoIP and adding your, yeah. your own... Or, yeah. or hoping for a vinyl-esque kind uh, of resurgence. Yeah, of, yeah, if people, and, and a long time. <laughs> there's a hipster resurgence. <laughs> How closely aligned was that work with what your father and uncle had done in uh, their respective um, places in the Middle East? Well, they, um, they, good question. Uh, they started off in uh, in Iraq. Like you go back a lot of this well before I was born. Um, so they had a computer shop there as well. They'd import computers and they'd uh, they'd set things up. They'd do services for them. So like formatting a hard drive back then was something that took an entire day and was a service that people didn't know how to do. Uh, then once they moved into they moved to Jordan because of the Gulf War in in Iraq, um, and in Jordan they set up a satellite positioning company. So they had a uh, they've always had a knack for <laughs> electronics, so they they set up this device which enables um, the satellite to change and be targeted as the, the satellite receiver, sorry, to change the dish and target it at different satellites, so that you'd get many more channels. Um, so that's where <laughs> that's where they came from. And that's so cool that that kind of background of uh, innovation and there's that um, great idea that people. Uh, there's a greater number of innovative companies started by immigrants because that same uh, attitude of going, starting afresh, looking for new things uh, is is a talent of both an immigrant and an entrepreneur. It's a very self-selecting population, yeah, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, well, uh, when we thought about what's going to happen in the future uh, with the with the science, we said, well. Let's let's see how these this infrastructure that we're setting up for an infrastructure company. How is it going to work with um, with autonomous vehicles? So, what will it take to bring an autonomous vehicle into New Zealand? So, we set, set up this group of um, different companies and and organisations. So, we had us, uh, Christchurch Airport, uh, Christchurch City Council, NZTA, the Ministry of Transport, Canterbury University, basically a whole bunch of different stakeholders that were interested to see. Um, how to either legislate for autonomous vehicles, um, what it would mean business-wise for them, what research they can do on autonomous vehicles. Um, for us, we wanted to see how do we integrate autonomous vehicles with our with our product. Mm. And so that's when we started the Christchurch Airport trial at the beginning of 2017. And what were the kind of barriers here? Because when you do think about autonomous vehicles and getting them going, most of the companies and groups who who are starting these projects and running these projects are very big and very well funded, and you know from a successful but reasonably small and on that scale company, what made you take the jump to go? Actually, we could start making these. 
Right. That's a that's a good question. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's totally valid as well. It's like how do you how are you going to compete against the Teslas and the Googles who've got more money and more funding, et cetera, than you? More more, more uh, ends to government to get yep. special regulatory allowances that, to test things. That one's like. interesting because in New Zealand we're actually very good with links to government. Yeah. So we've actually got pretty good relations and good accessibility to ministers and the different departments, etc. But as far as how do we exist in the same space as these other vehicles, is that we're not really in the same space. So when you look at something like uh, uh, Tesla or even the providers like Uber or Google, what they're wanting you to do is rather than own your own consumer vehicle, the vehicle that you currently have, uh, they want you to take one of their ride ride services. They're looking to replace the consumer vehicle. Mm. We uh, that's a huge, huge market to to go to go into, like tens of billions of dollars to to go after there, and that's a race that's con- constantly happening, and uh, and it's got its own its challenges, uh, but, especially if they're not on predetermined routes as well. So yeah, it, so, rides that can go anywhere is maybe a very different kind of technical challenge to exactly. bite off than it's a huge problem yes. and it's a very <laughs> difficult problem and each of the companies have their own ways of solving it that are really really interesting uh, what we're doing is while they're going after this big race that is worth lots and lots of money we've seen a smaller opportunity that for us is really really big but in the grand scheme of things isn't isn't so big and that's first and last mile transportation so how do you get from your origin to sort of a bus depot or a train station and how do you get from there to your destination mm-hmm. or looking at looking at places that are like airports or retirement villages that can have their own um, transport systems inside so a a big company isn't going to roll out sort of bespoke and custom services to to those places. They're looking for the biggest, most general solution that they can that can get them the most amount of money. Um, and then once that race has run its course, that's when they'll start getting start getting into this these smaller markets. So we see that we've got a little bit of a, a head start here before the big players even start to look in this direction. And so yeah, t- talk me through, Mum, what the um what that looks like. So in a airport, is that like um, when you're talking about shuttles, mm-hmm. what, is, what does a shuttle look like and how does it operate and what kind of routes would it be going, like between Terminal A and Terminal B or something? Yep, so between Terminal A and Terminal B, between parking and the airport. So if your parking doesn't need to be right next to the airport, what does that mean in terms of real estate um, for the airport? Um, since that's where that's an airport has <clears throat> it's not just a place to kill catch a plane it's a whole sort of commercial center um, so there's a lot more that an airport can do with that um, baggage taking the baggage from the plane back to back to the airport itself uh, there's a lot of places autonomous vehicles can play a role not just as passenger vehicles and what do yours look like and how did you go to um yeah, how did you get started in, in making them? Good, <laughs> good question. Um, we so as I said, we started this sort of almost symposium of of, of stakeholders in the autonomous vehicle space, um, and we brought in an autonomous vehicle here and started a, started a trial. And uh, we wanted to integrate uh, that vehicle. Um, we wanted to, that vehicle to talk to one of our one of our signs, essentially. So we approached the autonomous vehicle manufacturer and we said, 
Um, how do we, how, can you tell us how to interface with your vehicle? Yeah, got an API, buddy? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to use the word yeah, yeah. to know. <laughs> yeah, got an API. Um, so we we said, what is it? How do we how do we integrate with the API or how do we get inside your vehicle so that we can add this functionality? And they said, that's not what we do. <laughs> I, I guess if you're in a very regulated thing like autonomous vehicles, you don't want just anyone to be uh, getting into the system and adding new features, do you? Well, not, not like free, like sort of Wild West mm. sort of style, but they, it was a flat no. There was no way we could add anything else um, they said that they would need to develop that that technology for us, and I don't see, or we as a company don't see that that's that's not how the role of autonomous vehicles should be going into the future. Um, they should be integrated into the larger ecosystem of the of the of transport, um, similar to um, similar to a mobile phone. Sort of when you get your phone, you're the base functionality that you expect from that is to text and to call people. Uh, but most of the time that I use my phone, I'm not doing those things. I'm I'm on social media or I'm checking my bank balance or what even new app is there. So the third-party integrations are what add value to this otherwise relatively open platform. Mm. And it's not whoever the smartphone manufacturer is that creates all of those apps. I mean, if they just limited it to them, You'd have orders of magnitude less mm. applications and functionality that you could do with this device. We see the autonomous vehicle in the same way. So the base functionality is that it follows a path and it doesn't hit people. Uh, that's what you expect as a baseline from the vehicles. But how does it integrate into the into this ticketing system for the city? If you're if it's in an airport, can you do a check-in while while on board? Um, if the traffic laws are slightly different in, in one city or you want slightly different operation, does the manufacturer need to get super involved in every step of the way? Or can you get some sort of buy-in for your platform from other people to to integrate it and, and to, to integrate your platform into their network in a way that makes more sense to them? So it's rather than we're trying to sell a product that we know works in a specific way to we want to sell people the capability of having an autonomous vehicle work in the way that they expect it to work rather than the way that we expect it to work. And so from not being able to just make the the existing systems work with your science, you thought, oh, well. well if, Market if, opportunity. If we, can't, <laughs> if we can't do this, yeah. let's do ours. Exactly. Um, so we saw that there was... There's a real need uh, for that, and that it came out of a <laughs> sort of a source of frustration. But we saw it as a real opportunity. Uh, we had the technical know-how to do it, and we've demonstrated that. And so, from operating on a reasonably closed system, so predetermined routes, uh, mm -hmm. how does that make the kind of technical challenge of what you said? You know, the baselines are it, it goes the right path and it doesn't hit anyone. Yeah. How does that make that kind of more um, attainable? It, I imagine it's still a reasonably significant challenge. Well, uh, yeah, that does have a significant challenge. Um, but again, there's that barrier to entry that that makes business uh, uh, that makes it a good business decision. Uh, we've hired, uh, we've got a very good team of um, both AI engineers and electrical and mechanical and all sorts of all sorts of different engineers uh, working on these sorts of problems. A good way to think about our vehicles is like a, an autonomous tram 
uh, that doesn't need infrastructure laid down in the ground. So rather than rather than following a, a sort of a dugout path, um, we can do that through GPS. And, and do you do it through um, an actual painted line, or is it uh, simply GPS? Uh, well, with because we are an open platform, mm. uh, we can add it to follow a painted line if you want to. Um, we've got a whole bunch of different localization technologies, and I've got a talk on YouTube if anyone wants to <laughs> listen to listen to me go on about how we localize the vehicle. I, I imagine the painted lines are more for the uh, comfort of the users, the human users, yes. than the needs of the platform. Of the platform. That's another thing to consider is mm. the human factors. Like how do how will people interact with these autonomous vehicles going in? I see them as, I see a very good parallel between them and uh, elevators. Because if you think about it, an elevator is an autonomous vehicle. Um, it only works in one dimension, up and down. Uh, but they were manned by people, uh, by elevator operators at the turn of the century. Um, but now they're completely autonomous. And when they flipped from being uh, manned to being autonomous, people kind of freaked out a little bit. They're like, oh, there's, oh, there's no one in the elevator. I guess the elevator's broken today. <laughs> I'll take the stairs. Um, but uh, the people had to be eased into it. So uh, they added the red button, which stops the elevator. They added a call button, which allows people to feel connected to the outside world. Elevator open and close buttons. Um, arguably, sometimes they don't do anything, but yeah. they make people <laughs> feel uh, better uh, about their ride and gives them a more sense of control over it. Um, as well as they had a they had a soothing female voice tell them, "Hello, this is a this is an automatic elevator. Um, please press the button for the floor that you want to go on." And then, in the case of of your work, what are the what are the elements that you're doing to help um, ease the journey for <laughs> us distrustful, um, slightly evolved primates? So, uh, to begin with, <laughs> to begin with, um, we need a personal approach because the the whole switching from not having any sort of interaction from being able to control the vehicle, having someone that controls the vehicle to not having that control is a, is a big challenging step for a lot of people. Um, so we have someone on board to talk them through it, explain a little bit about the vehicle. They're very curious. People when riding an autonomous vehicle are very curious about how it goes, but you'll be surprised at how regular and I guess almost mundane it gets. <laughs> uh, it gets, it's like, Think of the person, like when you're riding a train uh, with a lot of carriages in it, you get into a compartment, you don't see the driver. Uh, for all you know, the train could be autonomous. In some cases, like um, like in Denmark, they've got autonomous trams there. Um, it feels normal. It feels like a regular commute. It's mm. just the first time that you do it. It's a little bit unnerving, Yeah. but it gets boring pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> like the link that's often drawn is... Uh, it'll be as weird to say driverless car in the future as it is to say horseless carriage. Horseless carriage or operatorless elevator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like if there's a guy in the elevator now, it's like, ah, oh, I need to stand next to someone for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, yeah, people at the moment with things like Uber rides where they just get in, don't talk to the driver, mm -hmm. look at the phone. You know, it may as well be a robot the way that most people interact with other humans. Yep, and Uber are certainly working their way towards <laughs> towards uh, making that a reality. And so where have you got these in operation at the moment? And what's the – because it's grown from New Zealand, uh, mm -hmm. but obviously the, the, the big markets are elsewhere. And, and the opportunities are elsewhere, aren't they, where infrastructure is being built to 
create these autonomous cities of the future where this kind of technology fits. Exactly. So New Zealand is uh, obviously a market for us, but uh, I mean, we'd be crazy just to be targeting New Zealand and nowhere else in the world. Uh, this technology is applicable almost almost anywhere. Um, so the first partner that we've got in New Zealand is is Christchurch Christchurch Airport. Uh, so we're working very closely with them, and that's where our first vehicle um, will be going. Our first commercially produced vehicle will be going to. We've produced other vehicles in the past. So in September of 2017, uh, we launched our Omia Hops which are small four-person shuttles, um, basically showcasing our technology and our capability of being able to build a vehicle. We did that down in Christchurch. And how do you showcase that? Do you do kind of like um, dodgems that don't dodge them? <laughs> it's, a, it's a circuit. It, it was a circuit outside the Christchurch Art Gallery. Um, great space down there. Um, but we opened it to the public and had people hop on board as needed. Like um, a teacups ride. Yeah, oh, kind of, without the spin, without the spinning <laughs> or the nausea. Yeah. Uh, but we had the vehicles go out onto the road, um, stop at the traffic light if someone was crossing the road, and then and then come back. Yeah, but they were small four-person vehicles. They were they were there to showcase um, what our technology was. And so starting in Christchurch, but then overseas, uh, like Korea, I, I saw a thing about um, what's happening in. Uh, potentially happening in Korea where they're actually building a, a city infrastructure yeah. for the future. Yeah, so that city won't allow any uh, diesel-fueled vehicles inside. So they've, they've got a classification for a city called a smart city, and they want to showcase technology there. One of, those, one of the technologies is autonomous vehicles. So we've signed a MOU, an agreement to supply 150 autonomous vehicles to a Korean city once it gets set up. How does that go from kind of, you know, starting out with a little pilot in New Zealand to then having these discussions and signing these MOUs for, you know, very significant international things very, very quickly? Mm -hmm. Well, we've got a good we've got a good international network. Um, so uh, one of the things that we try to do is attend international standardization meetings. So how do uh, for ISO? for example, uh, how do we standardize uh, new technologies that are coming out? So we play a part in that because those standards end up affecting our business at the end of the day. Um, so through that, we're able to make connections on an international scale. And uh, we work with ITS New Zealand, which is the company representing intelligent transportation systems in New Zealand, um, and uh, Mohammed Hikmet, my father and the chairman of the company. Um, he's the president of, of ITS New Zealand. And so through that role, he's able to get a lot of international connections and um, sort of talk about how he sees the future. And with all of this R&D, uh, you know, no, very heavy R&D, yeah. uh, and also the kind of like international expo of New Zealand technology kind of side of things, what role do organisations like Callaghan and government organisations play in this? Um, a very important one. Uh, so Callaghan have been fantastic uh, with us uh, as far as a supportive partner. Um, so they've uh, got got schemes that help that incentivize R and D, but as well as also being a bit of a strategic partner as well and working alongside them on some projects. So that's been really good. Um, we've been working alongside NZTE as well, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. They've been very, very supportive in um, telling us how to or in sort of guiding us through the process of um, becoming a very big international business. 
um, and they've been they've been very very supportive. And of course, NZTA, um, or Christchurch City Council, all the a whole bunch of city. It's not just it's not just one or two organisations, but New Zealand as a whole is is very very good with um, with enabling this sort of technology. That's one of the reasons that quite a few autonomous uh, makers, like the autonomous. Um, flying vehicles uh, also in the space because of a a, a good regulatory environment, isn't it? But other countries are further along in terms of getting the vehicles on the road, isn't it? Uh, Isn't that the case? Which is why China becomes the space for the first manufacturing facility. So China as a manufacturing facility makes sense as manufacturing is what China does best. Um, But we think that New Zealand also has a large role to play in uh, these sorts of systems. So um, not in terms of manufacturing, really. That's not that's not really our strength, mass, mass manufacture of, of vehicles. Um, but we have a whole lot of expertise here. Um, sort of all our we haven't had to import any of our <laughs> any of our AI team, for example. There's there we've been able to hire all from within New Zealand. Coincidentally, everyone's an immigrant, uh, but but that's. That's the role that that's how New Zealand is really. Uh, but we've New Zealand has a large part to play in terms of R and D and creating the systems. Um, but manuf- as manufacturing goes, uh, I don't I don't see that as um, as high on the list. And it's quite a quick process, isn't it? So from from kicking off, you know, t- t- twenty seventeen is that right? Uh, with the first kind of. Um, yep trying to get the sign working with the vehicle, to then having a manufacturing plant, a $20 million manufacturing plant in China going in. Yep, so that, that's, a, that's a pretty big jump, but that shows how keen they are to, to bring about those sorts of jobs um, to, to China. Um, it's not in any way taking away from, from what we're doing in New Zealand. No, it's going to help us grow a lot more in New Zealand as well, um, and it'll enable us to, to grow worldwide. Uh, and so what stage is that growth and what, what's happening next? So we're just in the um, final stages of finishing, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on, on the contracts with, uh, with China. Um, that's, that's a sort of a, a, it's a large setup where you've got a, a few government organizations um, or public organizations joining together in a joint venture with us, um, with us to set up a, a plant there. Um, so we're working, working closely with them. And, and that excitement from their side, is that because of the possibilities of, of what they see that being able to do in cities there? Yep, they uh, they don't want to fall behind, um, so they invest quite a bit in, in going going fast towards the future. What an absolutely remarkable journey to be on as well in such a, <laughs> such a short period of time. Like, what kind of advice do you give to people who, who are wanting to kind of do things that, that make things happen that may seem outside of the bounds of, of, of what you can do from New Zealand? Well, it doesn't... I don't think it seems outside the bounds. Uh, I mean, New Zealanders have been traditionally very good at sort of rolling their sleeves up and, and getting on with it. Um, we saw that... We saw how... We saw what our company will be like in the future, and we saw what spa, what what the city is going to be, and we saw that... Our product, as they are, would not exist going into the future. So it was a, it was sort of a, a survival instinct to invest this heavily in R and D. We couldn't afford not to do it; uh, otherwise, it would be something quite short, a short-sighted decision um, to just continue on as as usual. Um, 
New Zealand's a fantastic place to find a lot of very intelligent people that are very resourceful, very productive, um, and are more. Uh, you'll be surprised at, at sort of the level of expertise of New Zealanders and Kiwis. Um, I'm I'm very proud of being a New Zealander, and I I absolutely love coming across people um, people that are so far along um, in the in the technical space here. Did people tell you you were crazy to try it? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Like if you told me uh, three years ago that I'd be I'd be sitting talking about how our company started to build autonomous vehicles, that'd be that'd be a bit nuts. Uh, but that's that's sort of what technology does. It it's a very fast moving industry, and we're seeing technology start to enter more and more spaces, and with that comes a lot of disruption. So if you don't change, uh, then <laughs> the change is going to happen around you and you'll be playing catch up for a long time. And that's not a good position to be in. And if people listening are excited by the idea of, of um, these vehicles and want to see more and learn more, yeah, how can how can people get involved? Well, you can visit our website, omeo.com or omeo.co.nz. Uh, that's O-H-M-I-O. Uh, that's HMI with two wheels on either side, so it's a little bit... And, and <laughs> HMI is your parent company. Yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. spun out from HMI Technologies. Um, so Omeo is HMI with wheels. Um, some guy was paid way too much to think of that. <laughs> I think that's, that's really cute. And then and then Christchurch in the not-too-distant future, there'll be there'll be vehicles in action. Yep. Um, also other places around New Zealand, which I can't talk about just yet. Uh, but yeah, they'll be popping up. They'll be popping up in quite a few places. Um, if you'd like to learn more about them, reach out and we'll we'll get in touch. Yeah, and uh, if you do happen to be uh, an AI researcher uh, or someone involved in, um, in in machine learning, maybe get in touch as well, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a massive job. Yeah, it's a massive job. But there's a lot of there's actually a lot of jobs in AI in mm -hmm. New Zealand. It's a great time to be an AI engineer or data scientist or machine learning specialist or deep learning. It's just such a wide, it's just such a wide field and there's a huge demand for it. Yeah, it's humming. Hey, so thank you so much for joining us, yeah. Mahmoud Hikmet. Cheers, Simon. And thank you very much, Tina Tiller, for producing and thank you very much for having us along and listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.